Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the VMTV Rugby Pod. We are into the final week, or certainly the final round of games, with three this weekend of the Guinness Six Nations Championship. Of course, we still have Scotland-France to deal with a week later, but we are looking forward to Grandstand Saturday, Super Saturday, whatever way you want to call it. This is David McIntyre, and joined by Matt Williams and Alan Quillen. Good afternoon, lads. Afternoon, Dave, Matt. Lads, the team is in. and uh, Quinny, good to see you. A lot of changes to the Ireland 15 made by Andy Farrell. I'll run you through it very quickly. There's three in the back line. Bundiaki, as expected, has come in for Gary Ringrose. He's injured in midfield. Jacob Stockdale replaces James Lowe on the wing. And Connor Murray is back in the starting 15, having been given the place of Jemison Gibson Park at Scrum Half. He drops to the bench. Dave Kilcoyne preferred to Keane Healy in the front row. We knew that we had lost James Ryan. So Ty Byrne has gone back into the second row where he's replaced in the back row by Jack Conan. Josh van der Fleer has come in for Will Connors, who we've learned today picked up a knee injury yesterday in training. And CJ Stan in what is almost certainly his final cap for Ireland after that retirement announcement during the week has shifted from eight to six. So we'll start with the back line, Matt. Three changes. Bundiaki, Jacob Stockdale, Connor Murray. Talk us through your overall feeling and what has just come, been confirmed in the last 20 minutes or so. Um, Bundiaki um, was the obvious choice. Um, moving Robbie out to 13. They've worked together before. It's a shame for Robbie because he's been the best 12 in the tournament. So I guess there could have been an argument to bring Chris Farrell in and leave what is a weaken a strength to strengthen a weakness. But I can understand that. I certainly would have would have brought Stockdale in. James just look, I felt sorry for the man, but he's missing too many tackles. You just can't do that. So that's a completely understandable. And and Connor's a world-class player. He's been out for a number of weeks. I could see where they had him on the bench last week. And perhaps, well not perhaps, you're going to have to kick against England, kick smart. So maybe they're bringing him back in for, for more than one reason, uh, not just because he's, he's uh, now had another week under his belt. Understandable, all of them. Interesting. They'll make a lot more sense when we see the match day tactics that Farrell has for a uh, pretty formidable England side. I guess everybody was thinking this was going to be the end of James Lowell. And was there any cause really any justification for keeping him in the team so as his confidence may not be completely destroyed as he did with Billy Burns after what happened in Cardiff um, It was a tough one Dave I think um, you know he backed he backed Billy Burns didn't he Andy Farland and uh, kept him involved Although I has think, barely uh, used him since so. Yeah he's barely <laughs> just, used him it's since not ever, It's not obvious that he, Andy Farrell has an awful lot of faith in what Billy Burns can do yeah, I think it's the option you have. And I think um, I said this earlier in the week. Um, it's You could do more harm than good to James Lowe. I'm sure he'd love to get the opportunity and the chance to go out and um, put on the jersey and try and atone for those mistakes. It's not just one match. It's a couple of defensive errors in in the first first uh, first two matches as well. So um, 
I think it's a kind of message you send out to players as well. You, he's got a, a good few chances. I do believe that he can he can fix those issues and problems and maybe come back a stronger player for Ireland. Really, you know, it's a ruthless play, place, international rugby. You can get exposed, you can get cut out. Um, and this has been a kind of a recurring team for James. Um, he's just got to get better defensively, get his body positions right make sure he finishes the tackle and, and and uses that strength and power that he has. He's not a guy who's afraid of contact because he's devastating with the ball. Um, it's just uh, maybe it's a, a mental thing and he's not used to to really being in those positions when he plays with Leinster. So he's got exposed to that and um, I think he'll come back stronger. But I think it probably had to happen. Um, Stockdale coming into the side and he's had his defensive issues and concerns before. Let's hope that We've seen a bit of growth there from him. Um, I think we've seen signs a couple of times when he played with Ulster that um, he's looked aggressive. Um, and sometimes you've got to turn on that switch in yourself. Um, some guys have that anger, natural anger, and that natural physicality comes out very quickly. And some guys have to kind of get a, a poke up the backside themselves to get kind of angry and stuff. So I think Jacob Stockdale has got to bring that on Saturday. And um, obviously the the talent with him going forward, um, you know, when he came on the scene a couple of years ago, he scored seven tries in the championship. He was devastating. So hopefully he gets some ball in his hand and get a chance to run at the opposition this weekend. But it's, I, I hope that James Lowe, it isn't the case that he doesn't get an opportunity. I think the type of guy he is, and I think the quality that he has, um, his strengths in attack are, are, you know, so good, I think. But he has to really fix that defensive stuff to get back involved again. I guess it's up to a player, Matt, to always be working on what are his perceived weaknesses and areas for improvement. And as Alan says, the James Lowe situation was very much part of the Jacob Stockdale debate six months, nine months, 12 months ago. He's had time to go away, study what he's done, in the past, he's been trying to get himself back from injury. He's looked like he's full of confidence in the Pro 14 games that he's played since coming back. It'll be interesting to see, I guess, how, where Jacob Stockdale is defensively because he's sure as hell going to be tested this Saturday. He will be. Um, the interesting part of Stockdale is he's coming back in as an experienced player now. In 2018, when he scored all the tries in the Grand Slam season, uh, he was an untried kid. And then he had the second season syndrome. People figured him out, had a bit of a crack at him, and he made a few errors. But, you know, I think when you're in about your third to fourth season as a pro and, and you're used to the level, you're used to the environment, you're used to the people around you, the pace of the game, the physicality of the game, you're more comfortable in your skin. And that's why I, I concur with what Quinny was saying about um, James Lowe. Go back down to Leinster work on a few things. The opportunity will come again. Mightn't be for six months, mightn't be for till next November, but when it comes, just be ready. He's a quality player. He's got a big left boot and great pace. He'll, he'll, he's got the opportunity to pick it up. I'm really excited to see Stockdale come back in with all these games under your belt. You know, there's a bit of a theory, 30 caps, about the 30 cap mark in the, in the 20s, you start to feel like you belong. And he's getting close to that now. So I, I think that's a good selection. Um, look, there's just a reality here. You cannot miss tackles as a winger, especially at international rugby like that. Everyone's going to miss a tackle. Everyone does. But James missed a 
number and made a number of reads that cost games in a row. And it can't stand. And, and you know why? Because the coach and the players, to his players, has to say, here's the standard. Here's where it is. So, uh, look, I feel sorry for James, but I, I if, if, let me put it this way. If Farrell hadn't have done it, I'd have been all over him for not doing it because it had to be done for the team. We've lost Gary Ringrose, Alan, but given the way that we've played in the championship so far, bar a couple of offloads against Italy that came off, is losing him and Henshaw being pushed out to 13 a major hindrance to the way that we have played to this point and are likely to play against England on Saturday, where the ball is probably going to spend a good bit of time in the air and in close quarters. And Stockdale on the wing is probably better adaptable to play that sort of way as well than James Lowe. Well, we haven't done anything special in our back line, so it's hard to say. It's, I, I, he's, a, he's an incredibly talented player, Gary Ringrose, and I think he's got a lot, lot of ball in a couple of the games, um, particularly in the French game. It jumps out of me a lot, uh, running across the field with, with loads of French defenders in front of him, and no matter how good you are and, or fleet-footed you are, you can't break, you know, you, it's impossible to just run past guys there. Um, I think, you know, we spoke about the overall shape and the attack and the ability for 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 the forwards um, when you get into multi-phase to to run good lines and be options to engage the that defensive line. We haven't seen that at the level where we'd like to see it. You know, Gary hasn't got space and opportunities that you could look at that, you know, that you could say that he should have he should have pinned the ears back and gone through a gap there. He is a little bit off his game, and there is a sense that you know. Henshaw and and Aki are are physical players. They're very aggressive players, but it always concerns me when you when you when you go for a bit of grunt rather than a bit of, of subtle kind of evasion. But when we're coming up against England, um, you know, there's no Manitou Langi there, so it's it's Ford and 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 Elliot Daly. So they're they're intelligent rugby players. So we've got to. Number one, make sure it's a switch for Robbie Henshaw and hope that it doesn't affect him in any way because, as Matt said, he's been he's been very good. But it's a strong team. There's a good bit of depth here. And and a lot of the stuff we've seen from Ireland has been pretty chaotic in attack and defence. And sometimes that, that chaotic nature is, is, um, is something that you want to bring. And I think they'll need that on Saturday against England. But the one thing that, that I always keep saying at this level is and particularly in a game like this, you may get one or two chances where somebody gets a little half gap, somebody gets the hands through. Is that anticipation going to be there to get on the shoulder? And I really think that Ireland will have something up their sleeve a little bit. And I, I you know, it being at home, there is no crowd. That that's a difference. But I think if they can get a little bit of momentum in the game and get get that parity up front or even get that line-out kind of going against England again, spoil a few of their line-outs. I think if they can get a little bit of confidence and, and believe in themselves, um, maybe it will be enough, uh, the direct approach. But I I just feel that we've got to come up with something big. You go back there, we did a game in 18 and Twickenham, the, the the standard try. It's a, set, it's a set move. It's something to break down the opposition. I feel if we're going to win this game, we've got to come up with something creative. Not for a long period of the game. Maybe once or twice in each half and hope that one of them come off and we get a seven-pointer because um, 
Ireland need to start this game well. And, you know, I think England has been well documented. We're very slow to the blocks at the start of the tournament. Um, they're probably going to be moving up to fourth gear now for Ireland and possibly fifth at, at times. So Ireland have got to be a lot better. Um, so going back to the original question, of course, Gary Ringo is the last to any team because he can do something that other players can't do. But I think the experience and show, and I, I hope we see an, a Bundyaki coming into the team who has that energy, desire, aggression, and he wants to deliver a performance to remind the rugby public again of what he can do. Let's take a look at the changes in the pack, Alan. Dave Kilcoyne for Keane Healy. Is that really a 50-50 call game to game, a horses for courses type selection? There's maybe not an awful lot in that. There's very little in it. I think, you know, you can be labelled. I had this situation myself as, as an impact player off the bench, particularly with Ireland, I think. And you become a good, a good sub and a good squad player. And Dave Kilcoyne, um, you know, has been like that for years. Look at Sean Cronin. He's 60 or 70 caps and, and so many of them off the bench. But... Um, it doesn't take away from the quality that Dave Kilcoyne has. And I think uh, he's really, really explosive. And what it says is that um, he's tried to pick a pack that's going to start this game well and, and not look for impact off the bench. I think it's a sensible selection and regard... You know, even the back row, there would have been there would have been a real temptation to put Peter Romani in there, start the experienced guy, get 50 minutes out of him and have Jack Conan coming off the bench. But no, he's gone. I think he's done the right thing. He's picked players who are putting their hand up. They're bringing a lot of energy, aggression, and they're probably doing that in training as well. Um, my own, you know, there, there could have been an argument to put Keller in there um, if that's the approach. But then, you know, Herring's lineouts, and I said this last week, they were top-notch and Murrayfield again, one bad throw, I think, and from him, Keller had won himself that was crooked. So, uh, Dave Kilcoyne, you know, Keane Healy's just been incredible for Ireland, but he's probably just looked, he looked a little bit off his game last week in Scotland. He still gets through an incredible amount of work. So, maybe we'll see a reaction from him. If Ireland were in a good position and you're bringing someone like Healy, the quality of player he is off the bench, well, you know, to go up against Sinclair or even Will Stewart when they bring him on, when England bring Will Stewart on. Um, it can, all these selections can work for and against and sometimes there's, there's very little between it. But it kind of shows me that they're saying we need to start this game well. If this isn't about uh, waiting 60 minutes and we get a good impact off the bench, this is going for that explosive um, start. And uh, that's what they're hoping, I'm sure. We knew we'd be losing James Ryan, Matt, and the obvious selection was always going to be Tyg Byrne shifting back to the second row. Maybe Ryan Barry just has a bit of developing to do before he gets the nod in such a huge game. Josh van der Flair for Will Connors, like for like, I guess, in some ways. Harsh on Connors, but it's unfortunate for him. You picked up that knee injury yesterday. So the other selection was whether or not you bring Peter Romati back in or CJ Stander has moved. Now, CJ Stander has played plenty of times. I think it's his 19th test start for Ireland at six. So not a major in position on him, but it does come amidst the backdrop of it suddenly being his final cap for Ireland, Matt. And there's so much I want to get into around that. I'll talk about, you know, what it means that he's leaving Ireland and what we expect to happen to him in the future. But for this game alone, how much does it upset or affect the overall balance of the back row that we now essentially have two eights in the back row in CJ Stander and, and uh, Jack Conan? 
Yeah, Dave, look, there's, there's a lot to pull apart there, isn't there? You know, I certainly, I, I personally wouldn't have put Byrne back in the second row. I, I just think he is, has proved at international level, he is a very, very good six. He is a top line six. And I also thought that back row has been very well balanced and has performed exceptionally well. Now, I would have brought the biggest, toughest, other second row we've got. Now, whether that's bad, he mightn't be ready. Whether it's someone else, but this English pack is big and they're coming. Now, it sort of comes back on what Quinny was talking about. For me, Sinclair and Genge, the tight heads for England, were cheating their bums off. Now, we had the vision, we were that fortune rather, of the overhead pitcher that the referees don't have. And I thought um, the referee, um, again, for England, France, uh, had a very good game, but I thought he got the scrum penalties wrong. I thought they were, England was really cheating. Interestingly, referee Barnes, who won't be refereeing this week, he's had two games and given zero penalties. He knows he doesn't know. So he's doing it. But whatever he's doing, all the other referees should do. But I don't think without a really big set of set that we have been doing in the scrum. The scrum's been absolutely brilliant. Now, I'll take my hat off. Johnny Fogarty knows better than me. I, I personally would have left them, uh, left Burn in the back row. Now, they haven't done that. They've gone with what they've got. Okay, let's let's do it. CJ at six, I never feel is as um, effective as CJ at eight. That's just an opinion. And I think CJ and Jack Conan are very similar players. CJ is a better version of what Jack is. Jack's still pretty good, but it's, it's better. So it's not as, for me, it's not as well-balanced pack as we saw last week and the week before. Now, what does that also has an impact on your defensive line-out, and, which has been absolutely world-class, best in the world, as a matter of fact. The numbers that the defensive line-out producing are quite extraordinary. I believe that was the difference in the game last week. They stole that much Scottish line-out. Scotland didn't have enough ball to win. Give Scotland four more line-outs, would they have scored some more points? Who knows? But it's likely they would have got at least some penalties. So... That has an impact as well. It's it's a it, now we won't know until after the game, but it's a very very interesting selection. The, the, let me spin that on its head. If you're going to change your attacking structure and not do what we've done in the past against England, which is basically headbutt brick walls all day, which seems to me reasonably useless, as in pass to the first forward, run into their defenders, pass to the first forward, run into the defenders and do it something like 245 times, don't exactly quote me on that number, it might have been higher than that. This is the last time we played England. That's not a pack that's going to do that. So they're going to have to do something different with that pack at set piece and in general attack than we have done in the past. Otherwise, we're going to get what we've got the last four times, which is our backside smack. And I agree with Quinny completely. Let's have a set play. I'm not hopeful because we had a midfield scrum against Scotland. Best attacking situation on the field. Ball goes in the scrum, we go left. Pass, pass, pass. James Lowe runs out, we're going five metres. Our whole attacking process and how we're going to use our selection to empower that process, I think is still highly, highly questionable. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Alan, CJ Stander, we, I guess, have to take this statement that he made during the week at face value. I think anyone who's, who has had any dealings with him couldn't fault him as a, a gentleman. He's time for everybody. Um, for us in the media, he always walked slowly past you as opposed to skipping past you. He was always happy with a smile and a say hello and to sit and have a quick chat, even if he wasn't the guy who was up for interview. He's done brilliantly for Munster and for Ireland since he's come in. How much will his legacy as an Irish player and the overall context of the project player system be damaged if in six months' time he's lining out against Munster or Leinster in the Rainbow Cup for, for the Bulls or another South African franchise? Yeah, I don't know. I've thought about that. And, um, you know, if, if if he announces something in a few months that he's going back playing, um, well, then that does always kind of damage your legacy if you leave on a high and I think uh, but you know sport is ruthless people forget about you pretty quickly too and um, I, I, given the fact that he's going back to South Africa the, the the project player scenario has come up for for debate again I've seen you know journalists right across the world uh, talking about this since it happened but um, you know no one no one could ever question CJ Standers commitments his passion his desire Um. I think back and I very, very, very rarely, if ever, I can remember him having a bad game where he, he just, you, you're t- we're talking about CJ Stander after the game saying he's really poor, really poor. Um, you know, sometimes we've said, well, when Ireland have lost or Munster have lost, he's running up blind alleys and, you know, he needs to do something a little bit different. But you couldn't question Mark, his work rate, his desire, his honesty that you mentioned. And he's very popular with his teammates and everyone alike. So... Um, we've got to take it that that's the way it is. And But look, um, in a lot of sports, people come out of retirement and stuff like that. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen. It's really only speculation. And, and that's, um, you know, I've heard one or two people say, well, maybe will he not go back and play in South Africa? Who knows? Um, I, I'd love for to see him. It's a massive shock that he's retiring. I hope that doesn't happen because I hope the likes of you are not asking me, well, is this all wrong? Um, if you know what I mean, that I don't have to have this debate and start thinking about it that way, because um, you know I hope that uh, I'm shocked that he was, you know, going to this situation. Would it not have been better? Well, look, if that's the case, and maybe he does go back and play in South Africa, um, it'd be better just to say he's retiring and he's moving, he's retiring from international rugby and he's going back home and 
he may play back there in, in, in South Africa. But again, we're just speculating. Like, you know, I'd probably say, like, I hope that doesn't happen because we're going to have to talk about it then. And it can, it's going to add to the debate and the whole question mark around our own project players. Matt, I was having an argument with a friend of mine uh, who's a huge rugby fan yesterday when he put it to me that what has happened now with TJ Stander makes him the prime example of why the project player system is flawed and should never have been allowed to fester in the first place. My counter to that was he's actually not the prime example at all. He's played brilliantly for Ireland. He's barely missed a game. He's won a Grand Slam. He's got to a World Cup and he's got on a Lions tour and he's played over 150 times for Munster. That if anything, he is by no means the example of why the Project Player three-year residency system is broken. It's the other guys. There's no point naming them. We know who they are. Guys who came in with the view for playing for Ireland that simply weren't good enough and either got a couple of caps and were jettisoned or never got close to making the national team. To me, they're the reason that this whole system should never have been allowed in the first place. I don't think CJ Standard should be held up in that regard at all. What are your thoughts on it? No, I, I couldn't agree more. CJ Standard is absolutely been, um, has represented himself absolutely incredibly. He's given everything to a red jersey and a green jersey and he's faultless in what he's done as the players are in this because they it's not the system that they introduced they're just playing within a system and cj has uh has, has just been exemplary in his in the way he's conducted himself he played 150 times for munster i mean what else do you what else do you got to say like the guy's giving his life for it well, i think the other aspect in this day that a lot of people have missed i think covid has a lot to do with this um, you know, if CJ's wife and baby are back in the Republic in South Africa, well, that's a very hard thing to, to, to um, be away from your family for that period of time. Oh, look, and, and it's, it all sounds, it's okay and all that, but look, anyone that's done it, anyone who's been involved in professional sport and you spend a long period, I'm not talking about a week or two weeks, I'm talking about months away from your family, that's really hard. And it's time you, it's time you never get back. And um, I, I think that's had a big part to do with it. Personally, I don't. I hope CJ keeps playing. I hope he goes home and he enjoys himself and he, and he plays for the Bulls or whoever. I think that's a. I, I'd love to see him back here doing that. And that's not. And, and, and Matt, I, I would say. I, I would sorry, say. Matt, Matt, sorry, he, he's quite entitled to do that. Like, the, really, when, when I think about it, it's, it's his own business. We can't say, well, why didn't you stay and play a few more times here for Ireland? Or why didn't. Why, why should. Why should see? Why should he have to stay here and live here? And you know, he doesn't have to. He didn't break. You know, we can debate the, the project situation all we like. It's five years now, but I think Dave made a very good point when he said, "You can't look at the thing that annoyed me about some of the project players is the is the commitment. It's the you know how much they put into the whole thing. You know, I never really." Like I'm still a little, I'm still a little bit uneasy with it. But if I was a player, and I always try and look at myself as a player, um, when I look left or right to me, if I see guys who I know they're going to wear in their heart and their sleeve for me, it may not make make it right to the rugby public, and it may not be a hundred percent right. But that's one thing you could never say about Stander. He was always there. He embedded himself in, you know, everything that was Irish tried his best to, to, to always give it his all. 
And, you know, maybe he's entitled to go back and play with the Bulls if he wants. Contracts are contracts. You know, Matt, contracts, uh, they're in as good as the piece of paper they're written on. And then, you know, if the situation was where CJ Stander wasn't getting a contract and he was pleading to stay here, well, you know, people, you know, what, 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 what would he be supposed to do there? So they work both ways. But I think in an ideal scenario, we'll all love if he goes off into, we, we don't want him to retire. He is retiring. We'd love if he went off into the sunset and, and uh, and that's that. But he's quite entitled to go back and play if he wants. I well, last one on this then, Matt. Really? Last one on this, Matt. You said that you, you'd be perfectly happy to see him coming back playing for the Bulls in whatever this new look yeah. Pro 14 looks like. Yeah. I think you'd be in a very much the minority on that. What He has said that he's retiring from all forms of rugby. Yeah. Does, does uh, it not damage his legacy with Munster in Ireland if he does a very quick U-turn on that and comes back? And I, 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 don't think he's gonna, I, don't, I don't believe he's going to do a quick U-turn. I don't believe he does. Look, he, he's done enough. He, and he's, this is, comes back to your point. Though. He's done enough for Ireland, Irish rugby that he gets a free pass. If, if his wife and baby are back in South Africa, and he's, he's given his career here and his, his service has been unquestionable. If in six months' time he says, geez, I wouldn't mind one more run, I've got no problems with that because it's his life. Like, it's not, he's not selling secrets to the Russians. You know, like, you know it's not, he's just going to play a game of rugby. I don't think that's going to happen, but I would, I would personally have no problem with it. I am totally against the project uh, players. It was, th- that rule was never meant for that. It was meant from the amateur days if I came to study in Dublin or work in Dublin, that I could play here in Dublin when we were amateurs. And it has been abused by every, all the big countries around the world. Australia and New Zealand have been some of the worst. The only countries that don't abuse it are South Africa and Argentina. Now, I'm totally against it, but it's, it's not the players' fault. And there's a lot of ex-Irish internationals who have said to me, and I won't, I won't break their confidence, but they say exactly what Quinny's saying. Like, there's, there's people gaming the system. CJ Stander is not one of them. Yeah. That's, that's, we've got to make that clear. He has, he has all our respect. And he, why? Because he's earned it. Um, but the, the project player uh, scenario is disgrace. And let me, let me put it, it's, it's huge politics because it benefits the big countries where we're taking the Polynesian and Melanesian players, the South African players, and they're all playing in the North where they can get more money and, and they can get a better life. And, and good luck to them for that. But it is, in my opinion, diminishing international rugby. It should be where you're born or... I actually think the grandparent rule works if you, are, if you believe you've got a connection to that country. I do not believe in the residency rule. If you want to do five years, okay, I'll come to that. Gus Pichot stood as for chairman of the uh, World Rugby on that principle. And that's why he got the support of all the minor, so many of the minor countries because of, of that reason. And, and it, it was a just cause and remains a just cause. Okay, it's a really interesting topic. Thankfully, that three-year rule is now a five-year rule, so it's yeah. not quite as jarring yeah. as it has Much been in better. the past. We're going to take a quick break. This is the VMTV Rugby, Guinness Six Nations Rugby Podcast. At the, in a couple of minutes, we're going to chat about Ireland-England, where this game is going to be won and lost with Matt Williams and Alan Quinlan. 
Okay, time to get into the nuts and bolts of this Ireland-England game. Fairness, Matt, our results against England have not been good of late. We've lost the last four. I think we've lost 10 of the last 13. It was mentioned briefly earlier that when Ireland have played England and in recent seasons when Leinster have played Saracens, we have tried to get on top of them physically and has not proved possible. And we have ended up on the wrong side of the result each time. Are we going to try a similar method this Saturday or are our coaching staff going to try and change things up and try and find a different way to beat this England team, which are just as powerful now as they were two years ago at the World Cup and are now, as Alan said earlier, starting to slowly grind through the gears as this championship progresses? Do you know how, sir? <laughs> I really like so, mate. Look, it's um, watching that game last November. Um, that was that was hard yards, you know. That was hard to watch. So I, I hope we come up with something different. But if we if we just go down Route One, as we've done since St Patrick's Day 2018, when Ireland played the best 40 minutes of rugby in the first half I've ever seen an Irish team play. And we won and we deservedly won and we scored great tries and we outthought them. We went through them. We didn't want to go, you know, we didn't want to smash them, but we had ways of going through. Remember, Todd Furlong took the ball and did a circle ball, like this unbelievable pass that got us through. The CJ Stander scored as Quinny, Quinny brought it up before. I mean, it was, it's a great try. It's an all-time great try. We've got to think like that. And I've seen nothing in our play that suggests we're capable of it I, I, and I hope this week it comes out and they do it and they show it but no mate I, 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 I am I'm feeling very bad about this this week I, and I want to be wrong I really want the guys to play well I think Elliot Daly at 13 is, is, a, is a hole we could explore if ring race was there with his footwork I'd feel much better I mean it doesn't mean Robbie Henshaw is a wonderful player don't get me wrong but again I think as long when he's lines two, two inside centres playing but I do believe we have to be, our backs have to square their hips up and go straight. We're going always across the field. And that's just allowing the defence to slide on. We've got to get square. But we can't do what we did in November. Now, I saw the end on in November. Oh, mate, it was scary. Like, we, we cop, it, it was like Muhammad Ali just getting pounded by George Foreman at the, the Rumble in the Jungle. I mean, they were just launching at us. They were just punching and punching and punching. And we kept turning up because this team's full of courage. But there was just no thought, no breakdown. And they picked Ford and Farrell. I, I suspect they'll do exactly what they did um, in 2019 at Twickenham, which was just kick us off the park. And they double kick. They kick, come back, kick again. Because they try to manipulate our back three, and they do it very, very well. Right now, Eddie Jones has Ireland's number. He has thought out and planned off the park. We have to do something dis different to disrupt that thinking and those tactics. That is obvious. Have I seen it? Jeez, I, I, I wish I could. I wish I could say I have, Dave, but I haven't. I have not. Alan, that old adage, Alan, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. What are you hoping to see from this Ireland team on Saturday? Because there will be an awful lot of pressure on Andy Farrell and his coaching staff if we lose by 12 to 15 points, having tried to play the same way we did in the Nations Cup, tried to play the same way we did at Twickenham in 2020 and 2019 in that Rugby World Cup warm-up when we were absolutely massacred. 
please give us some kernels of optimism and positivity well, that we will see Ireland yeah. try something on Saturday. Well, I think it's it's imperative that we get our line out and set peace right. If you go back to the game in November, and this is a common theme throughout all the, the, the last four losses, England have put untold pressure on us. Two years ago in this fixture, in, in, in the start of the Six Nations in Dublin, Ireland won the back of an incredible 2018. None of us saw the, the danger, and we were all naive and caught on the hop by England. But they analysed this very well. The kicking game was nullified. Their kick retreat blocked any sort of uh, kick chase. There was three, four guys in front of the receiver for England if we put up a box kick. Tactically, they were really smart where they played the game. When they got into our 22, they, they punished us with uh, a sharpness and an accuracy. Um, Johnny May scores early in the game. Daly scores as well. Um, it was, that was a lucky bounce of the ball over, over Robbie Henshaw. But you create that bit of luck with an intensity and an urgency. And for anyone that thinks Ireland can go out on Saturday and just kind of throw the ball around and, and we'll get rewarded for it, it's in, they're an incredibly hard team to break down. So if you want hope, Dave, and the way I think about it, and I think about it, this as a player, get the scrum right, get force a penalty or two off from there, get in the air, punish, get, put pressure on their line out, and at worst, make sure you're winning your own line out in the right area so we can launch some attack. So you can get Bondiaki moving, Henshaw are with the ball in his hands, Stockdale's coming in off the wing. And to add to that, then your kicking game has to have accuracy. You can't just um, you know, think you're going to turn up here and and make multiple mistakes, turn the ball over and because they're a side who punish the opposition. If you analyze England and look at them, they're not this real expansive side that, that move the ball all the time. What they are is a side who wear the life out of you, they kick well, they get into your opposition, um, they'll force a mistake. Then when you give them the ball in your 22 where they get it, they can build 8, 10, 12, 14 phases and you'll either give up a penalty or someone will fall off a tackle and they, they'll get into the, the you know score try. And they're just very good at those those big moments in a game. Five lineouts we lost over in Twickenham in that that uh, Nations Cup game. We had a lineout five yards, a couple of yards out, maybe a yard outside the five meter line. We kicked into the corner. We had a, a chance to win that lineout and possibly score. It's an overthrow. They gathered the ball. A couple of passes later, Johnny Mays on his bike and he scored under the post the other end of the field. They they do that. We were able to do that to teams in 16, 17, 18, punish mistakes. But we, we've we've probably made too many mistakes against England. And we've got kind of, you know, you're always going to find, every team is going to find it a real physical challenge playing against England. And they must man up, of course, but they just have to be shrewd in the way they play. You The, the more you mess around, and, and I'm not advocating that we kick the letter off the ball like we did against France. We kicked it mid-40s, which was incredible when you think about it um we still need to kick really well and play in the right areas and then when we get there we just need to ask questions of england by recycling the ball really well our breakdown has been good and hope then that somebody will get a chance to do something brilliant and if ireland can kind of nudge themselves forward like that confidence is a massive part of this for this team you know it's a good irish team it's a decent irish team 
do we have world-class players like England? You can pick a couple of them and say they're world-class. Well, we have a couple of potential world-class players. We have guys who've been probably on top of their own position uh, for a couple of years um, and, and maybe can get back there again. So there is a bit of hope there, but it starts with, sounds boring, line, the line-out has killed us against England and we need to get that right. And just because we had a brilliant day out with Scotland last week doesn't mean it's automatically going to happen this week. James Ryan has gone out of that, that line-out. Okay, very interesting. That is a quite positive. We, yeah, there were a lot of mistakes made, Matt, in the previous games where we've been beaten by England. It doesn't really matter what your frame of mind is, how expansive or ambitious you're intending to be. If you're losing at scrub time, if you're losing on the ground, if you're having your line out pinched, your game plan is, a, is an irrelevance. If we improve all of those facets of our game, improve defensively, kick better than we did at Twickenham last year, well, then surely we have a chance. We certainly kicked better last week uh, against Scotland in general play than we've done all year. Um, the kicking's been quite poor. Against Wales, we were diabolical, which had nothing to do with the, with the uh, sending off of Peter Armani. But we did kick much better last week. I think to add to Alan's points, which are very valid, you know, if you start with a mental picture that England are a militaristic team, they want set battles. So if you don't match them at the set play, you got no chance. That's that's your foundation. That's your 101. But the next part is when you win the ball at that set play, you must get the game line. The next, you are, you know, by all means, try and score a try. You could saw what saw what France did at the on the set plays against England. They were quite magnificent. Almost every set piece that France um, got the opportunity to win their possession, they they crossed over the game line. They scored one brilliant try. Um, and, and what did France do? The turning point in that game was Jalabert had a kick for touch as a penalty and missed touch. So they didn't get their set piece in the English 22 and England turned that around. They got a scrum, bang, down they go. But what we have been very guilty of is not ending up on the right side of the game line on tackle two after the set piece. That we have to change. But of course... Um, Ireland do have a chance. They came back and they've, they've tried. Well, again, Dave, like, we cannot question this team's effort and commitment and physical uh, uh, heart in the game. There's no question at all of their not giving everything for the full 80 minutes and not, not throwing their, their whole being at the game. We saw that on Saturday, the 20, when it was the draw. They, they really threw themselves at that last restart. So that's not the question. The tactics are the question. If we can empower, if the coaches can empower that team with tactics that will get us parity, the boys will see that through. But right now, that's that's what's not happening. Not the question on the boys' commitment. That's not there at all. They're, they're being sensed. Like we talk about CJ, it is beyond question the commitment of the class. Okay, brilliant stuff, lads. I'm not going to get into a huge amount of detail. I think we'd lose some listeners if we did on the Scotland-Italy game. There's nothing at stake, really. Um, no. Scotland, uh, we expect to win, and obviously they still have France to play. No championship on the line at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday, but there is very much a championship on the line, Alan, at the Stade de France on Saturday evening. It's Wales-France. Wales going for the Grand Slam. France looking to keep their championship hopes alive ahead of that Scotland game in a couple of weeks' time. The team news is that France are unchanged and Wales have brought Adam Baird back into their scrum. That's about it. What are your overall thoughts, Alan, on this game 
a Welsh team chasing a slam that no one ever thought possible. Yeah, no, none of us did at the start, and I, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe, maybe the Welsh players themselves believed um, they could they could get it right, and a lot of it was down to the the, the first game. Them getting that win, you saw the relief. Um, they were hanging on near the end, uh, Wales to to beat Ireland. They've just gathered momentum. Um, you know, they looked they looked under massive pressure and dead and buried at one point in Murrayfield as well in round two, and they they fought their way back and. They have a lot of characters, a lot of big names. If you look at that Welsh side, Dave, and you go through it and you see uh, George North and Jonathan Davies, Tipperick, Falatau, Alan Wynne-Jones, Ken Owens, you're, you're talking about British and Irish lines here who are not going to go on forever. And, and some of them are on, on, on the, you know, are, are around a long time, but they found the form and they found the formula to, to get the job done. And they've, I thought they were superb against England. Um, they got fortunate with a couple of decisions, but their ambition, confident. They're they're an incredibly confident bunch when they get on the front foot, and they they really believe they can beat anyone. So, I think they'll believe they can go to, to Paris. I think it's going to be a very difficult one for minutes. I, I said England would be a true test for them, but they managed that, and uh, the tempo they created in that game and the way they went after England. Now England did not help themselves with their discipline and those decisions that went against them, but. You couldn't bet against Wales going to Paris and getting a result. Um, they're, they're big game players and they have big names in that Welsh team. It's going to be difficult if France can regather themselves um, and, you know, put some of the, the performance in and the, 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 the class and the talent they showed in that first half and for periods of that game last week in Twickenham, um, you think they'll win. But... It's all about what the opposition allow you to do. And it's kind of like the Ireland-England game. We've got to make it very difficult for England. Wales have to make it very, very difficult for France and not get their flow and their attack going because they can be devastating. But, you know, fair play to Wales. They've been brilliant. Matt, it's a 24-point points difference between the two teams at the moment. So, obviously, if France were to win by five or six and take maybe 12 points out of that 24, they would still be in a brilliant position going into the final game against Scotland, knowing that a double-digit victory might give them their first championship in 11 years. This is the sort of game that will paint a picture as to exactly where France are at the moment, Matt. Their bounce-back ability, as it's talked about in some uh, sporting circles, because they put themselves in a position to beat England, didn't get it done. They're a young team that are still up and coming. Let's see how they respond to what happened to Twickenham. Yeah, I think the best news for France is they've got an unchanged side. Um, Vakatawa coming in after a long break. Um, you know, France and England, that game was at a level far above any other game that's been all year. That, that, that was the game we all saw um, when it was initially announced uh, 10 months ago. We thought that'll be a good game. And wow, it didn't, it didn't disappoint. The first half was the best half of rugby I've seen in a long, long time. That was you know, we were in studio, literally just going, oh, wow. You know, everyone's calling out as, as they scored those tries. I'll say something. For the good of the game, I really hope France turn up. I, I really hope they can play because this French team is playing exciting footy. And God knows the game needs it. Rugby needs exciting uh, rugby that inspires, that, that makes us all say wow. Not, not seeing the rushing defence that just makes it. Stop kicking the ball, <laughs> Alan. <laughs> you know, we, we need them to go, well, I think France will win, 
Uh, I think Wales have been unbelievably lucky. Wayne Pivak needs to go out and buy a lotto ticket because I can tell you he's the luckiest guy on two legs. And good luck to him because, you know, Peter Armani send off, uh, Faggerson send off in Scotland. Two unbelievably bad refereeing decisions. If we see that again at the top level in the next 10 years, I'll doubt it. And then they had Italy. This is going to be his first test. I would like to see France win so that next week is alive. And I think it'd be great for the championship if France come out next week and win it. And I, uh, I think they will. I think they've got too much class. Wales have had to go to Rome and home, then Paris and home. If Wales get up and do it, well, they deserve it. But that, they've, they've been lucky. But as Napoleon said, don't tell me if he's good, tell me if he's lucky. And they're, they're riding their luck. Okay, good stuff, Matt. Thanks a million. Quinny, thanks very much for your time this afternoon. That's all from us this week on the VMTV Guinness Six Nations Rugby Pod. Don't forget, we're with you from Halfwood tomorrow. Scotland taking on Italy, the big one at the Aviva Stadium, Ireland against England, and then a potential championship decider as France host Wales. We'll be back next week to go through it all and also preview Scotland's game with France in Paris. Enjoy the weekend's rugby. It should be very special indeed. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 